This is Coda Radio, episode 520 for May 29th, 2023. Hello, friend, and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and joining us right over there, I imagine very cozy in Florida right now, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, or am I a natural language model of Mike? That would be very impressive. Honestly, if you could pull it off even a little bit, that'd be the best sales pitch for whatever you'd be selling. <laughs> That's true. You should go that direction one day. We could rig that up. <laughs> I love it. I'll even help you, like, uh, you know, rig it so that way I just pretend like I didn't know. Yeah. Don't tell the audience that, but I'll just pl- I'll go along with it to help you out. That's right. Happy <laughs> Memorial Day. Yes, especially to the listeners out there. And uh, I think, uh, you know, some companies just don't know how to time the news. Ford and Tesla announced on Friday, Friday before Memorial Day, that Ford is adopting the Tesla charging standard and gaining access to all the supercharging network of Teslas. Starting early next year, Ford EVs are going to ship with an adapter that goes from the Electrify America plug to the Tesla plug. And then get ready for this, Mike. In 2025, Ford's switching their plug over to the Tesla plug. So the one that they put in the car is going to be the Tesla plug and then they're going to ship an adapter for the other standard, for the uh, the one that the Biden administration happens to be all in on. So it's also kind of a political slam from Ford to the Biden administration because the Inflation Reduction Act is putting out like 20,000 Electrify America EV charging stations. And Ford just said, meh, by the time you even start building the first one, we're going to be shipping the Tesla plug. Yep. Wow. Honestly, th- this needed to happen. I don't know if you follow the EV scene much. I don't know if you've considered an EV, but these Electrify America charging stations are a joke. The software is horrendously unstable. The locations are garbage. They often mismatch plugs with stations so you don't get the promised capacity. Then the software in the cars is horrible. Then they have to link up. There's an app. You have to have good connectivity. They often have limited connectivity at these places, and so the app takes forever. Sometimes they've misnumbered the stations. So you pay and authorize the machine that's in front of you, but they've misnumbered it. And so it turns on the machine next to you. I mean, all these things are going on with these Electrify America type stations. And Tesla, meanwhile, has the early mover advantage and the proprietary advantage. And I think Ford recognized game where they saw game and they're, they've shipped EVs and it's the number one pain point. If you charge at home, it's beautiful. You never really have to worry about it. But if you need to charge on the go, these charging stations are garbage. The Teslas are the only ones that really reliably work. And I don't think it's that unusual in the car industry to license technology like this from each other. I think that's pretty standard practice. I think it's one of the reasons why cars are so damn expensive. No, I, yeah, I think it's pretty standard. Also, I, I'm not super big into the EV space. I, I personally hate buying cars because the whole depreciation thing. But I, I would think that eventually one standard is going to win. And I, I know the administration put their kind of muscle behind uh, Electrify America. But, you know, I, I know people who have Teslas. And there are some charging stations locally here, uh, particularly in like Tampa proper. But it it doesn't seem like other than like finding a station, they have a real issue. 
In fact, a lot of them enable something called fast charging. Yeah. And it seems to work more reliably than the other brands. It, yeah, it seems to work. I mean, I, I particularly know one guy who has one, and he's like, I barely think about it. Yeah. So I I can't imagine not... And it doesn't... Uh, Tesla, has, this is where I'm, I'm not super deep in the space, but don't they have a very liberal licensing deal? I, I think they were going to. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> and then maybe they realize that's a long-term monetization strategy. And so you see this this deal with Ford took two years. One of the huge holdups was Ford didn't want Ford customers opening up the Tesla app, creating a Tesla login to charge their Ford cars. And so it was a hard nope. It was a deal breaker, as the Ford CEO put it. And I got to imagine Tesla's initial reaction two years ago was, just they're going to be at a Tesla charger with the Tesla brand on it. Just have them use the Tesla app. It's not a big deal. And Ford was hard no. And so after two years of negotiating, it seems they finally agreed. And now so the, you, with these new Ford EVs, you have to use the Ford Pass app on your mobile device. And so you'll be able to charge from the Tesla chargers using the Ford Pass app. And you know Tesla had to build a bunch of back-end infrastructure to make that possible, to make this deal work. So who knows how well that'll work, how well it'll scale. But it's just uh, the whole thing I don't like. I think I would actually, for my commute to the studio, would be the ideal EV customer. It's a 22-minute drive. It's almost all at 65, 70 miles per hour. Mm. I could charge at home. I could charge at the studio. I would never need to go to a charger. Uh, but I, I, not to sound like a Luddite here, but one of my cars, it's a Volvo. It has all this software that manages everything. There's so many sensors and the sensors go bad as the car gets older. It's got 170,000 miles on it now. It's a 2012. And it had all this really advanced tech at the time. But now that we're into the end of the car's, you know, prime, <laughs> it just goes haywire. Like, I had a shop redo the brakes. It was a European specialty shop, too. And they so they do a good job on European cars. They, they, they got my brakes fixed up. But I don't think they reset the maintenance timer in the computer. And so now the computer is yelling at me and it has disabled certain functionality in the car, like uh, it's disabled lane assist and it's disabled cruise control because this system, it thinks it's past due for maintenance and I've been ignoring it. And it's a critical system, even though it has been maintained. They just the shop didn't reset the code and I can't reset it with the crappy little scanner I have. And so now I don't get to use certain parts of my car. And it's only getting worse with these EVs. Like the whole idea that I have to have a Ford Pass app with a login that I have put my e-payment information in there, as they put it. I, I just don't like any of it. Well, it's almost like DRM for your vehicle, right? Yeah. And, and yeah, uh, you know, and we have the, what is it, the GGM story where they want to, I think they backed this up now, though, but they wanted to charge you to use like Apple Music or something. No, there are some company or some of the car makers that are doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Yep. I'm, you know, I, I'm sure eventually I'll have to buy a car and get sucked into this, but I'm enjoying my circa 2016, 2018 vehicles that, yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they have yeah. a USB plug, right? And switches a, and stuff. Yeah. 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 That is a thing I think a lot of consumers, that's a sentiment that I think is really common and the car makers are going to have to find a middle Handle ground that. there. All right. Well, we've got some feedback I wanted to cover. Two that go really well together. Uh, longtimer Scuba Steve writes in. He asks if there's maybe an important role for VCs. He says, you guys often talk about reckless VC spending on tech startups that don't make money. And in the Coderly, the most recent Coderly, you specifically com compared tech to other industries who companies have to make profit to survive. 
despite all the justified criticisms the VC model gets, I'm concerned about the alternate universe where this funding doesn't exist. Many of the biggest innovations in tech were made possible by early investing, which gave companies space to grow and iterate on their product. If founders don't have access to this funding and are immediately under pressure to turn a profit, will the big five be the only companies that can afford to innovate? I was thinking about in terms of your arguments on AI regulation. If that tight compliance requirements are put on AI, only the big companies will be able to leverage it. Isn't something kind of similar with startups and VC funding? Thanks for the lively discussion and insights over the year. Hope to see Mike at Linux Fest Northwest. And I hope to see everyone, specifically their butts, he says, at Linux Fest Northwest. Uh, yeah, so I, I think there's a couple things here, right? There, I don't know that either of us were really arguing to abolish VC funding. But when you have apps like the Yo app, real thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Right, getting getting VC funds and then flipping. And you have... The model, which is super common now, where you're building a company with the intent to just midwife a sale to one of the big five. And I would also add our our conversation around VCs has been in the shadow of the collapse of FTX and the scam of Sam Bankman fraud. Right. And, and enabled by VCs. Uh, Theranos, enabled and creepily protected by some investors, right? I, uh, you know, if we look back to the to the good old days... Apple was founded. Let's just take Apple, everybody's favorite. And they had a few years to get it together. It wasn't like Mike Markolo was like, hey, you have three weeks, bro. Yeah. So it's it's not that black and white. The, the, the problem is when the company's stock becomes the product. Anybody who likes the HBO yeah. sitcom Silicon Valley will remember Action Jack Barker, who constantly tells the founder, the young uh, founder of Pied Piper, Richard Hendricks, I will never, ever you know, uh, compromise the integrity of the product. And Richard thinks it's his algorithm or the website or the app or whatever. And it turns out he's like, no, man, the product is the stock. I'm here to flip the stock. Right. Which, yeah. And if yeah. you're, and the other sickness is the attention goes to the next funding round, not to refining the product. And that horizontal bloat, you can see the sickness with the horizontal bloat where so many people have no idea how the product even works or, have any insights on the customer base for the product. That's, I think, a, a sign of things going too sideways. But to steel man your position here, Scoob, you know, if somebody came to me and said, Chris, I want to give you a million dollars to hire a team full-time at JB again and just see, you know, what, what we can get the company to in three years, I think I'd have to say yes to that, right? Even if it meant giving up, like, some control, I think I'd have to. Because it would just be, it'd be a lifestyle change and it would be an enabling factor for, you know, all of us. It's just, uh, so it's, I think it's, it's a matter of, it got to a scale where principles of business and the fundamentals of how the business produces revenue, its retention, all that stuff really became less and less important. What really happened is there were certain metrics that VCs were looking for. And so companies just started optimizing for those metrics. And then they started operating at scale where a single VC firm might have 200 companies they're investing millions and millions of dollars into. And then what happens is that industry gets very fickle and it can just go away at that scale. And then you have this vacuum that sucks all the funding out and founders are now strapped with commitments they've made 
it to revenue and large staff that they've asked for funding for to hire to get to those commitments. But now nobody's willing to pay premium prices. Um, and this is why Ethan's email goes in so well with Scoob's email. Ethan writes in about the vibes in the valley. He says, hey, Chris and Mike, I hope this email finds you both well amidst the chaotic roller coaster ride that is the startup world. I've recently stumbled upon the Awesome Coder Radio podcast and thought I'd share some candid insights from the Silicon Valley trenches. Let's just say I'm writing this after a couple of drinks, so excuse ramblings. Uh, here's the scoop. The Valley has been riding high on a wave of optimism and balanced potential for the past few years, but it seems like the tides are finally turning and reality's hitting us like a ton of bricks. You know that moment when the euphoria subsides and the cold, hard truth sets in? It's my first economic downturn, and boy, is it a doozy. Everyone around me, my fellow founders and entrepreneurs, they're all privately panicking. We've been sailing on the winds of low interest rates for far too long, and now it feels like a storm is brewing. It's becoming painfully clear that those inflated numbers were so, that we were so proud of were more like smoke and mirrors. They made us look like winners when we were actually just riding the wave. Ooh. Yeah. Now the rubber is meeting the road and we're struggling to meet the revenue targets. We promised our investors layoffs mm -hmm. are becoming an unfortunate reality. And it's unnerving to witness the once booming startups reducing their workforce. We're all feeling the pressure and trying to navigate this while trying to stay competitive. That's the other angle here that Ethan brings up is that the, the market is contracting. You may have to do layoffs, but you also have to remain competitive. There may be other competitors around you that, yeah, that's a, that is a good point. Um, he says, Chris and Mike, you've seen it all. You've weathered the storms. I'm looking for uh, some experienced businessmen sage advice on how to navigate these troubled waters. How do I steer a startup through economic turbulence without capsizing? Are there strategies I should consider to adapt to this new reality? Keep our heads above water. Since I know you probably talked about this extensively on your podcast, but I thought if you covered it in an episode, I could share it with my founder group chat. Your insights and guidance would mean the world to me and many other young founders trying to find footing in this new normal. Uh, imagine, imagine this being like your first business and uh, yeah. your first economic downturn. I, and uh, he signs off. Uh, thanks, Ethan. Thanks, Scuba Steve. Those two emails went really well together. I don't know if I have any other advice other than prepare and uh go lean mean it's like that's all that's all you can really do right if you're if you're gonna do layoffs do do them harder than you think you have to and it sucks too right because you, you probably you hire friends when you're i mean it just yeah, the first uh the first business that i opened i did exactly like chris suggests i hired friends and yeah, yeah. Uh, i made the mistake of not cutting viciously is the wrong word but drastically enough and then having to do multiple rounds. That's the worst thing you could possibly do. True. And, you know, there's there's other things, too. In those, like, there's situations where maybe it makes sense if it's a partnership to go to a sole proprietorship at this point. Maybe if one partner is more focused than the other. Yeah, some sort of, like, overtime equity buyout. If I, it, It's tough, right? Because you, you would hope, and I've never had a partner like that. But you would hope that an equity partner would be willing to, you know, sleep with the servers with you or whatever it is you guys are doing uh, in a lean time. Having said that, it's also an opportunity because a lot of shops are definitely not going to do the, the cutting that they're going to have to. And they're going to be just taking the jobs. Now, I'm speaking from the perspective of like, B2B dev shop work or, you know, package software, SaaS, whatever. 
Uh, they're going to be taking deals when they probably shouldn't that are that may give them quick cash flow, but are honestly going to be albatrosses. And it's, and I know this from experience because I've done it myself. Hey, this is happening in the advertising market right now. Is you're seeing podcasters just take whatever crappy deals and yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now, uh, you know, we're smaller than we've ever been, but we're lean. There's we're all senior at TMB now. So there's no there's no junior. We've aggressively used our own automation software to automate everything we can. Chris will find this a little funny. I had a very testy exchange in renegotiating our QuickBooks rates. <laughs> oh man, just dealing with QuickBooks in general is bunch of uh, dicks. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough and it feels bad, but you have to understand that this is a this is a cycle, and we're probably going to be in this one for another year or two, at least. But when we come out of it something is going to be new, right? There's going to be opportunities that pop up. Uh, for example, the work from home thing, I don't give a crap what Uncle Elon says. That, you know, that horse is out the barn, he's down the street, he's crossed into Kentucky by now. It, it's never going back. Yeah, just ask the commercial real estate in Los Angeles and San Francisco. Also a great time to renegotiate leases. Yeah. Or to be like, I have to break the lease. And... This is uh, maybe something I shouldn't say, but when I was opening my first company, I was very afraid of getting sued. (laughs) Then you get divorced, you get sued all the time. I mean, I'm I'm just saying, you you just get used to it. You're like, all right, the sheriff, you just get used to getting sued, especially in lean times. Like, if you have a multi, I don't presently, but if you do, and you guys are making these drastic cuts, have a multi-year commercial lease, might be time to just violate that lease. That's exactly what Elon's doing, and Twitter has the money to pay it, right? Because what will happen is lawsuits are expensive. Uh, commercial, especially if you guys are small-time renting from smaller-time landlords, they're not really looking to drag out a court case, even though they'll storm in fury and blah, 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 blah. There's, they'll settle. They'll liquidate the lease. And that's, you know, you have to have enough time on the lease to make this worth it, right? Like, if your lease only has a couple months left, just just pay them and be done. Yeah. Also a good time to rethink perks on uh, future hires because another opportunity that, again, from the gospel of Uncle Elon, I don't necessarily think this is the nicest thing to do, but certainly when you lay people off, let's say when things start to recover, you're going to rehire, you might want to rethink those grandfathered in uh, packages that you've been offering. And I'm talking about you know what? People can pay for their own gym memberships. Like every little bit counts, especially as you scale. You don't need to match the Microsofts and Apples and Googles of the world, who, by the way, are cutting their perks right now as we speak. Right. And the fact that you're not them is also a perk. You know, so there's right. that element of it. And I just want to I want to rehit this point. Uh, Ethan didn't specify, but, you know, I I have found a lot of times when you get years into a situation, usually if you have a couple of founders or two founders Usually there's somebody that's doing the lion's share of mm. the work, right? Mm-hmm. It just, I think if you have been, if you've been struggling with that dynamic, a lean time can be a moment to kind of reconsider and recoup. You know, like we here at JB are are struggling to sell ads for the remainder of the quarter. We're working it out, but it's still some holes and it's, it's not great. And, you know, if you pause, a, if I pause a show that there's downstream implications for other people that are involved too. So it means multiple people get impacted uh, and that sucks. So it's, 
it's tricky to work that stuff out right now. And I kind of look at it as for a while, for the last like three years since we went independent and really the years before that, the sun was shining a lot. We were making a lot of hay and I was working really, really, really hard. Yep. Now the sun stopped shining. Um, I may pause a few shows or a couple of shows for a little while and just heal and repair and then bring them back as soon as I can sell them and hit it again. Right. Maybe that's later in the year. Maybe it's sooner. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But, you know, I actually got into talking about kind of the future where I kind of kind of see things going. Plus, we talked about like 25 plus shows that we've done in the past uh, on mm-hmm. the Mere Mortals podcast, merematorialspodcast.com, episode 90. I, uh, they just released it this morning. It's a two-hour chat. It was great. Look, I saw it on Twitter. I, I, it is on my next to listen, listen to. I'll put a link to the YouTube version as well if people prefer. You know, YouTube likes to be in podcasts now. They're all excited about that. Oh, of course they are. Could I just uh, riff on one thing you said there? Sure, sure. It's pretty big. Uh, I know one of the f- first places, at least I and other founders I've known in the past, have decided to just viciously cut with sales and marketing. Yep. That's the first thing that goes every single time. Always, generally not super smart, right? Because if you think about how you would structure as a small startup or, a, you know, like boring small business like, like Chris's and mine, your sales guy, hiring a sales guy should always be the easiest decision you make because by definition, he should literally come with a dowry, right? He should be coming in bringing you money. Hopefully. Hopefully. Or you have either a bad sales process, a bad marketing process. Or you're all just very new. <laughs> right. Or the sales guy is like just your buddy from yeah. the frat house. And yeah. So, it, you know, it's, I, I, and I've done it like laying waste to your sales team, you know, MTG Wrath of God style. Not great. As, the, as someone doing sales himself again, uh, Harris, I miss you. Come home. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit. It's a great way to support the show, and you can check out the exciting news. Linode is now part of Akamai. All the tools that we love, like the Cloud Manager UI through the web, the API with all the tooling and the documentation and the libraries and the CLI, which is clean, lean, mean, and awesome. That stuff, it's all there. Like all the things we use on Linode to make our infrastructure available to our audience, it's there. But now it's combined with the power of Akamai and their global reach. They're expanding their services. They're investing in cloud computing resources and tooling to provide reliable, affordable, and scalable solutions for individuals, small businesses, and large businesses, really all sizes. And as part of Akamai's global network of offerings, data centers will expand worldwide. They're investing big, giving you access to even more resources to help you grow your business, your project, whatever it might be, so you can serve your customers. So why wait? Experience the power of Linode now Akamai. Go to linode.com slash coder to get that $100 in 60-day credit and learn how Linode, now Akamai, can help you scale your applications from the cloud all the way out to the edge. It's linode.com slash coder. Well, Microsoft Build 2023 just wrapped up May 23rd through the 25th right here in my hometown at the Seattle Convention Center. Uh, I'm sure you were there, Mike. I just think maybe we didn't get a chance to see each other, but uh, I'm sure you made it. I'm sure the Cylon version of me was there. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Just like an iPad on a stick, but you've got like the new Apple headset, so you get to see like you're there. 
With its 15 minutes of battery life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Satya Nadella, of course, uh, feeling good, looking like the king of the world, was up on stage doing the keynote. Satya says it's a new era of AI. In his keynote, after walking through really kind of like the history of computing from like the real early basic ideas, I mean, he dwelled on the far distant past for a while. Then he just kind of speed ran through the last few years where the cloud and mobile took off. And he starts then talking about AI and the iPhone era. It definitely was an iCloud. No, he says everything is changing. And I got a clip for you. It's not that long. He says everything is changing and they're starting with developers and developer tooling. In fact, the other thing I've always loved is Jobs' description of computers as bicycles for the mind. It's sort of a beautiful metaphor. I think it captures the essence of what computing is. But then last November, we got an upgrade, right? We went from the bicycle to the steam engine uh, with the launch of ChatGPT. It was like the mosaic moment for this generation of the AI platform. Uh, and, and now we look forward to, as developers, what we can do going forward. And so it's exciting time. Uh, and in fact, every layer of the software stack is going to be changed forever. Um, and no better place to start than the actual developer stack, right? We as developers, how do we build is fundamentally changing. Fundamentally changing. No better place to start. Is it fundamentally changing, Mike? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's always changing. You know, this felt like a very, or somewhat more low energy version of developers, 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 right? Where's the sweating? Where's the almost ripping off your shirt? I don't know. Is it fundamentally changing? I think it's always kind of changing, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess... It was IntelliSense. Did IntelliSense fundamentally change coding? Yeah. I mean, I think these are all tools that make things easier. Although when they're wrong, they're usually hilariously wrong, right? This whole build is feeling really peak hype to me. Yeah. Like the first year they had Cortana and, you know, that kind of stuff. It's it's kind of redonkulous how they're kind of just going. I mean, they're they're so all in on their co-pilot and AI stuff, they're baking it into everything. And it's it's useful, but it's not that big of a change, uh, game changer. I mean, I don't know. Like, So they've, they have announced Windows co-pilot. Do you see this? Hmm. This, it's just like, it's a sidebar overlay. You, you, you invoke it, you get a sidebar overlay, just like they do a ton of crap, which I hate these sidebar overlays. And then it slowly, through natural language, can walk you through doing things in Windows that you'd probably really want to do with a keyboard shortcut anyways, like snapping your windows, enabling dark mode. Yeah. You know, just the things you'd expect to be able to do. And it's Microsoft feels like they're just absolutely enthralled by the idea because it's yet another abstraction layer they can put down on top of the Windows UI to yet give you yet another way to change Windows settings. And maybe they hope one day they can just get rid of all the other ones and you can just ask for something and the computer will do it. And so they're going to roll out Windows Copilot into Windows 11, calling it the first platform to have centralized AI assistance. And they're going to also bring Bing chat plugins to Windows so you can ask the chatbot stuff inside Windows. I mean, in one way, I'm really impressed. Like, what other ginormous nation-sized corporation that's this age can pivot like this? 
I, I mean, it's really remarkable the way they kind of have like an all of business effort that they've kind of just put together in the last six months. It's well, I mean, it's, I know it's more than that, but you know, like the the pivots really just a whole company effort. That's impressive. But at the same time, I watched a video that covers the infrastructure for this. They are going to be burning endless resources just so that way people can trigger copilot with a button or a click and ask it something stupid or the Bing chatbot. Like the infrastructure, we're talking tens of tens of tens of tens of thousands of NVIDIA high-end enterprise GPUs and servers to run them. And we're talking data centers all over the world, all constantly running these GPUs at absolute max. So that way you can ask the co-pilot to enable dark mode. And, you know, it's unbelievable what society decides to criticize energy use for and what they don't. And so, like, talk about a ridiculous waste of energy use to burn GPU hours so that way you can have a co-pilot integrated into a slide over on the right hand side of your Windows desktop, which is a crappy implementation and a crappy experience to begin with. Yeah, I mean, this will all get more energy efficient, right? A big step would be ARM servers, no spinning disks, blah, blah, blah. But I guess, you know, from the business perspective, I feel like they're just throwing anything at the wall that they can call Copilot because they really messed up the mobile era. And they, you know what I mean? It feels like this is a, you know, never again situation for them. Yeah. And they've got OpenAI in their back pocket right now, like nobody else. So they've got a lead there. Yeah, and, and, and OpenAI is going to get some uh, benefits from dealing with Microsoft right off the bat. Of all the major tech companies, Microsoft has, I would say, the best, if not second best, maybe next to Apple, uh, press coverage, right? So, and that's a, there's some reputational and political protection there. Right. I, you know, I don't know. Is, is this, do you have to co-pilot all the things? Probably not. Will they ever get rid of the registry in Windows? I'm sure there's someone crying hearing me say that they won't. Maybe right? they'll have a natural language interface to the registry now, so you can just ask for a key to get yeah, updated. It's, you know, it's it it doesn't seem likely that they're ever going to be able to, at least in our reasonable career span, kind of unhose themselves from. I mean, look at where they're putting it: Microsoft Office. Right? Have you ever tried the web versions of Office? They're not great. Microsoft Office, of course, they're putting it in the developer tools and they're putting it in the Windows sidebar. They're going to put it, you know, I mean, I don't know, in Outlook, if you had a button to summarize. What, 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 what shocks me is that even with all of the baked in crap they've put into Edge, which I find myself using more and more, which is a different topic, they don't have a just summarize this web page with the Bingbot button. It's so stupid. So um, I think you're onto something, though, although maybe Microsoft pulls a ninja move. I didn't really, you know, people, my, people in the audience have been writing this in for a decade saying that one day Microsoft would ditch the Windows code base and they would base a Windows environment on top of Linux. And well, they have that on Azure. Well, that's just it. They've, inform, they've formally announced Azure Linux, which is a rename, kind of a rebuild of CBL Mariner. Yep. And it's called Azure Linux now. And it doesn't seem that crazy to just have a new Windows experience that's on top of the Linux base sort of like chrome os maybe it's edge based even and then if you need a full windows development environment you use one of these cloud pcs the windows 365 stuff they have they have 
specific instances for developers. And they also have this Windows 365 boot, which is actually legitimately kind of cool. It's a preview tech right now, but it allows you to boot your physical PC, a, a, a real machine with a mouse and keyboard and your monitor you like and everything like that into a virtual instance running on Azure. So that's really cool because it can convert a, a, you know, any PC into basically a thin client. Yeah, that's that's exciting. I, I'm more excited about the Azure dev uh, workstations, mostly because I run M1 Max or M whatever the hell, M2 Max, whatever this is. Yeah, you can get an instance up there with 32 cores, 128 gigs of RAM and two terabytes of storage. And then you get like, you know, multiple, multiple instances or SKUs of that for different development environments you might want. I mean, it does look pretty good for somebody who's on a platform that can't run native x86 Windows code. Well, and most and almost all of my stuff is not native Windows anymore. So I just have some legacy clients that I'm supporting. So I think this is where the strategy for Microsoft makes a ton of sense. The developer enablement stuff, right? This is really where they shine. I mean, one, nobody's ever been fired for buying Microsoft. I know that sounds crazy given the audience here, but it's not that crazy. number of clients I've gotten here are like secretly Microsoft shops, right? They just, they run Linux at home or whatever. But there is a, if you are in the dev shop world, uh, consulting world, you know exactly what I'm talking about. At some point, you're going to be pitching a deal. You're going to be pitching a solution. And son of a bitch, somebody's going to say SharePoint. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or in my case, access a lot, right? It's, it's, it's going to happen. And you know what? Just embrace SharePoint. Microsoft has done a very good job of supporting open source languages as uh, API integration endpoints to SharePoint. Uh, Alice supports SharePoint. Just putting that out there. Sh- SharePoint me. is a reality of life, isn't it? Right. You can't, especially, you know, can, can I take a tangent? Oh, like, yeah. we, we talked about this about a year ago. Okay. What do you got for me? Stay a while and listen. There is a beautiful Tampa Microsoft like outpost here. And they have, like the great old ones, managed to get their tendrils into almost every enterprise. Oh, yes. And and they're all just basically running on either, uh, what is it, SharePoint or what's, what's the older one? Bispark? Not Bispark. Um, Dynamics. Dynamics. Oh. Dynamics is horrific. <laughs> I don't touch that crap. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, it's amazing. These are all like cutting edge. Even like the startups down here, you know, those that haven't shut down because of the interest rate thing. It's the only like I've, you know, I'm used to New York, been to California. This is the only ecosystem. I guess Seattle, I guess by you, it's probably the same because Microsoft just gives you. They're yeah. like, hey, dog. I went there thinking I would pitch like, OK, we'll, we'll make everything C sharp for, for this uh, was a product I wanted to launch. And the guy looks at me dead and says, how about Python? Because that was right when they were making the transition. That was... Um, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, this is, it's a non sequitur. It's just don't... You know, when you're, when you're rocking out to Linux Unplugged because you're listening to it live and you've just paused Revolution OS, remember, SharePoint is just doing push-ups in the parking lot waiting for you. I actually think this dev cloud box... You know, it's awesome. Yeah, I think, the, and they've got all these different SKUs for different types of developers. Of course, it's it's not. We don't know what the pricing is going to be, but we know it's probably going to be based on compute hours and storage and bandwidth. But is this maybe the biggest signal ever that Microsoft is exploring options that enable them to just go wild with Windows? Especially if they build 
if they build tooling that makes it possible to develop in the Microsoft ecosystem from the from the Mac desktop or from the Linux desktop or from the Windows desktop, like if they can make it a complete experience on any desktop, that frees them up to then really take a machete to the Windows code base. Because you know, you look at all this stuff they're putting in Windows 11, like the Dev Home and integration with GitHub and WSLs getting even better, and you go, God, that'd be so great, except for still Windows. Right. After six months, you're still going to have some weird reg edit problem. It's yeah. just, and it's just a bad experience. And you know that if you just had some real, like, dedicated engineers create a fantastic Windows experience on top of Linux... I mean, I know it just sounds ridiculous, but if they had years to get it right and they could use it, because this isn't going to happen overnight, this transition to like cloud-based workstations and development environments and tooling that's outside of Windows will take a decade. But you could see how Microsoft may be laying the groundwork for that transition, much like Apple a decade ago begun laying the groundwork for the transition to ARM by just making small little changes here and there to the App Store and to the platforms and to how their infrastructure works. And making everything kind of line up so that way a decade into it, or about six, seven years into it, they could announce one of the most seamless transitions away from x86 that I think anybody could ever conceive of. Microsoft may be beginning to lay the groundwork for a similar transition away from Windows, and I could actually see it now after this after this build, and I've always laughed that theory off. Could be. I mean, a benefit along the way is that they don't even have to, right? If... If they, with this OpenAI partnership with these uh, dev boxes in the cloud, effectively, with the just stupid incentives they give people for Azure and the honestly kind of shocking amount they've opened SharePoint in particular, they could just, they don't really give a crap what the engineers are running. They'll, in fact, they will give you great tools for your Mac or your, you know, Pop! OS machine, and they will collect the money on the back end when you're hosting everything in Azure. I literally have been deploying for a client a uh, open source based application running on Linux, running on Docker, on Azure, Azure Linux, on Azure, connecting to SharePoint, doing all that kind of stuff. And you know what? Microsoft's pretty happy to collect their Azure and their SharePoint check. So, tailscale.com slash coder. Go there right now and try it out. You'll get Tailscale for free for up to 100 devices. And now they also have unlimited subnet routing. So you can get to devices you can't even put the Tailscale client on. Tailscale is simple, secure, mesh networking protected by WireGuard. You can get it up and running on any device in minutes. You got like five minutes, you can probably get it running on three devices. Mobile, Android, and iOS. But of course, they have all the different builds you might need for Linux and for Windows and for your Mac desktop and laptops. And what happens is this intelligent client creates a mesh flat network that overlays on top of the internet. And so it's essentially a private VPN between all of your machines. But it's intelligent enough to only route the traffic that you intend to go to your other tail scale nodes on the tailnet, as they call it. So you're not sending everything, which means you can leave it running all the time, like I do on my Pixel 7. My contacts, my calendar, all of my notes, all of that syncs securely back to my server over Tailscale, which I leave connected persistently. I, I, I don't ever, ever even go out to the internet to do any of that, and I have no inbound ports now. You can easily create this network of machines, and then you get all kinds of tooling, like Tailscale Send, which is kind of like AirDrop for all your machines, or Tailscale SSH, 
which allows you to establish SSH connections between your devices in your TailScale network authorized by the awesome access controls they give you. And you don't have to manage SSH keys. It authenticates your SSH connection using Wirecard. <laughs> it's oh, oh, so good. I use it for everything now. It's really changed my networking game. And now that you can use it for free up to 100 devices, there's just no reason not to check it out. So try it and support the show. Tailscale.com slash coder. That's tailscale.com slash coder. There is some serious concern and upset going on in the Rust community at some of the higher levels in the Rust community. I hate drama and I hate to even call it that, but I thought Juan on Hacker News summarized it pretty good. So there was someone who's an expert in a the field. They have an opinion about a Rust technology stack. That opinion is apparently a bit controversial, perhaps with some on the Rust leadership team. This individual who has the controversial opinion was asked to speak at RustConf after a leadership vote. But members came together and persuaded the RustConf leadership team to remove this individual because they were, quote, uncomfortable with his technical view. And they pushed him out of the conference, despite some of the other leadership being for it. And as a result, some other developers are leaving the project in protest as well. I feel like I don't really have much insight into this other than it feels like yet another really red flaggy thing going on at the leadership levels of Rust. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it seems like the last like six months or maybe a little longer than yeah. that, there, there's been some kind of controversy in the Rust community at incredibly high levels. Um, which is really a shame because the the it has so much promise, but yeah, this is uh this doesn't give me the good fifis, right? I, I don't yeah I don't like this kind of stuff. I don't I don't know. So I I tried to find what the opinion that that this person held was that got him effectively blackballed from this concert or concert. Yeah, you know they just were rocking out to all the all the greatest crab uh, crab uh, awesome. clicking sounds. No, this conference. <laughs> And I, I kind of couldn't find anything other than some like really shitty Reddit threads. Yeah. That just seemed like people being, I mean, I hate to use the term, but, you know, like the mean girls from the movie Mean Girls. So I, I don't know. I just, it it's not, you know, I, I, I part of me misses our, our conferences of old when it was kind of more multi-vendor, multi-language, more chill, every, you know, everybody kind of. You heard from everybody, right? Yeah, we, we've definitely got a lot more focused. And that does seem to be that bruise drama. So this developer, JT, who's leaving in protest, he says, why I'm leaving is obvious. I just watched the Rust organization disgrace one of the experts in my field. As an organization, Rust and the Rust conference offered little resistance to Rust being wielded as a weapon against an individual because of some discomfort of a couple of a couple team members. What rang in my mind is, quote, a system is what a system does. Rust acted as a cruel, heartless entity that did not care about Gene and treated him as disposable. Easy to offer a place of respect and just as quick to snatch it away. That is what Rust is because that is what Rust did. That's pretty intense view. That's a pretty extreme interpretation, yeah, but it's, it is, I think, what I'm feeling. I'm feeling that's the red flag I'm feeling is like these actions, you are what you do. <laughs> you know, it's funny how this thing, these things happen when you take humans at scale 
And something that has such technical admiration, you know, and adoption and momentum is having what seems to be strange, odd political issues. Yeah, and quite frequently. So it, it's, yeah. You know, if anybody has any insights on this, please do let us know, either boost it in or go to coder.show slash contact. Uh, we are going to be recording some doubles in the future, which we're going to be sorting out in a bit. So we could use some additional boosts and some additional emails to help cover those pre-recorded episodes. We'll try to get all that sorted out soon. But uh, if you have any insights into this or anything else we've talked about, it's a good excuse to write in or, you know, come up with another reason. Boostagram. Noob Steve came in with 61,701 sats. Hey, he says that's actually a Star Trek boost with a six in front of it. Ah, I see. 1701 in there. I see what you did. I am programmed in multiple techniques. He says, uh, I keep hearing you say things like shows that don't get support will go away. Well, I'm boosting in and I'm a Jupiter party member. I really hope Coder doesn't go away again. I, just an update on my journey. Been a while since uh, I asked about how to get started. It's 410 days until I retire from the Navy and try to break into software development. I've been focusing on TypeScript because a friend said it would be easy to get hired and pivot. Wise? Was he a fool? Always love listening to your advice. Oh, con- congratulations on the upcoming retirement. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, everybody needs developers. And, and TypeScript, as the kind of headline here, is super broad, right? You could be talking about stuff like, you know, Ionic-like uh, or React native mobile apps. You could be talking about Node backend apps, all of the above, right? Angular uh, web apps. I will say that there is no shortage of people looking for good front-end web developers. It's a great choice. It's a great choice. I, it, it's if if you want to do, it's primarily going to be front end work, but there, of course, uh, Node does exist, and that Dino thing, but that that has all kinds of weird Dino. I don't know. I think most people are still using Node. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely lots of jobs, probably lots of remote jobs. Yeah, it's a it's a good choice, and with your military background, you are an asset to a lot a lot of firms that you know engage in that kind of thing or. Just like to see the experience. So good luck. I think you'll be you'll be just fine. I think it's a great combo. As to Coder, no. Uh, I mean, even if we didn't have advertisers, we have pretty good. I mean, we could use more members, um, but we have members and the boosts. The boosts have been lower and lower, but I think it's because people are just getting tighter out there. And if so, if the boost came up a bit, we had a few more members come on board. That would definitely cover the run costs for Coder. And then Coder, when advertising is good, Coder is a great show for advertising because there's a lot of tools, a lot of tools and services out there that, uh, you know, want to target developers, of course. But when things are lean, uh, all that stuff kind of closes up for a bit. But I think with the memberships and the boost, I think Coder can weather the storm. And, uh, you know, we love doing it. So I don't think you have to worry about that. Torched Escape, or also known as Listener Jeff, comes in with 50,000 mm. sats. <laughs> and uh, he's razzing everybody about the low boost numbers. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I don't know a damn thing about coding in any language, and I still love this show. I've been listening since at least 2013, and I remember my first episode started with a story about Mike going to an Apple store because something had happened to his MacBook, quote, something, and he needed a new one. Little did I know Mike would be telling the same story for the next 10 years. Mike, please get a sippy cup. <laughs> we, we literally sell a sippy cup now. It's fine. It's great. I love it. He says, uh, everyone else I know is boosting the shows like Lup. Let's give some love to Coder 2. Amen, buddy. Thank you, Jeff. I love Lup 2. I know, right? Well, screw those guys. Um, how do you, how do you suppose, uh, I'm going to say Melee Strikes comes in with 29,000, 
500 sats in total. I hoard that which your kind covered. Across two booths. He says, I was disappointed to hear the HP Dev 1 isn't holding up for some. I picked up one when they discounted under a thousand, and I'm really enjoying it so far. I have to replace it at some point to make a good Linux laptop with a great webcam and sound performance for general productivity. Some development versus code and occasional games using Steam. He's wondering if we have any suggestions. The System76 Thalio sounds amazing, but I'm not sure the laptops will have the same build quality. Uh, yeah, they have been teasing more and more their laptop. They're saying they're going to go for quiet and high performance. Yeah, they're they're building their own, right, from from basically whole cloth. Um, yeah, I think they're in the really early stages, but they're testing components like trackpads, keyboards, thermals. Thermals. Test the thermals. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, I mean, so the dev one isn't isn't bad, right? If you one thing I do like about it, and actually before I gave it to the person I gave it to, it is very repairable, um, and not from Mike's sippy cup problem, but from hey, I bought it with sixteen, or in my case, I just I cheaped out on the SSD and I shouldn't have, right? So I think you have some more time with it. If you're specifically looking at Linux, that's more Chris's department these days. But I I would probably hold out for the System76 one, although I think that's got to be at least a year or two away. Or a new Dell XPS. Uh, do they still, they don't call it Sputnik anymore, do they? No, but they still have like the, the slash Linux stuff. Yeah, where they, yeah. they're pretty good. Uh, or the framework. I know a guy who swears, doesn't shut up about his framework laptop. Mm-hmm, yeah, the, the guys that do like the framework laptop, just double check the screen resolution will work for you. That's a hard choice. You know, my so my dev one is holding up great, but I don't use my dev one as much as Brent does because I have a couple of machines. You know, he's opening and closing and putting in a bag all the time. So he's having like a hinge issue with his. I would love to know how the dev one did and if they're going to do another one. I really like mine and I don't know what I'd replace it with yet. I get the impression they're not. Me too. And I don't, I don't know. I have, I, I mean, can I fry? I, I don't know anything. No one's told me anything, but I guess I could fry some HP bacon. Oh yeah. Oh, you got, you brought HP bacon. Yeah. So when, when they discounted it to under a thousand bucks, that bad sign, I mean, bad sign, but what a, what a steal. Yeah. I mean, really, good. I, know, I, I, I didn't I didn't get one. I wish I did. I wish I could. Yeah, another I, one. I wish I had waited because I bought a bunch of them and I gave them out as just like people's, you know, this is your Linux laptop you're going to use. But before the discount, but the quality is pretty good. I did have a couple issues, but, you know, one HP took care of the first issue and the other, it was just as simple as cracking that baby open, and replacing the chip. That took me maybe five, ten minutes. <laughs> so. If you know what you're doing and you're getting a laptop, I think, what was it, like $8.99? It was stupidly affordable, Uh, especially if you're just starting out. I I would not, like, if you're just starting out, unless you're doing iOS dev or something, I would not recommend you spend, like, four grand on a MacBook uh, Pro. Go ahead and get, (laughs) if you're doing web dev or something like that, Python, go ahead and get you a dev one if you still can. Having said that, I don't think, can you? Let's look it up real real Maybe on eBay. No, you can't buy them anymore. They're definitely sold out, but you might be able to pick one up on eBay for a hot price, right? Yeah, I'd be worried about it because some of the first runs had had issue, though. Yeah, I suppose. The, I mean, it would depend on the price, I guess. If it, was, if it, was uh, it, it was a great idea. And I, I really was hoping. Remember, Chris, you and I were on that big video call with them? And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they put a lot. That's why I'm yeah. surprised they just kind of dropped it because you and I saw behind the curtain for a bit and they had a whole team on it. They set up a support team at, you know, 
HP, like there was a division created to run this laptop. They had matching accessories that they guaranteed would work no problem like that that mouse is awesome yeah that, uh i forgot the name of it what is it the hp studio mouse and they went to all that trouble to establishing a serious partnership with system 76 that like they courted them and you know sent them the machine so they could check the build quality and repairability of it and worked with them to like customize parts of the software like they really invested in that and now it seems like nothing I mean, I will say the person, it was, it was a student that I gave the, my, the last of one to, he's using it. It's fine. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mine's still working. You know, yeah. one RAM chip replaced. That's all it was. Hmm. Yep. I'm going to say this next one is also a tricky one, but I'm going to say it's Q-Seria comes in with a row of McDucks, 22,222 sats. Things are looking up for old McDuck. He says, hey there. So Chris was talking about the uh, Innovation Act that Biden administration wants to hammer through. I think the real thing I see happening here is it kills the soil here in the U.S., but the Internet has made the world smaller, like you alluded to. It'll just happen elsewhere. Yeah, we're seeing that. We do see that. It's tricky because I think the people that are making the laws have really, they were in their prime before the Internet, right? So if you think of, look at the a- average age of Congress, most of those people... Before the Model T, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I think it's easy for them to think they can regulate something and control it and, and, and not realize. Well, it's just a network of pipes. Right. Yeah. And sometimes they get clogged. You know, it does oh, happen. God. <laughs> Dave Jones, the pod sage, comes in with 21,112 sats. <laughs> he says, I'm getting some strong Elizabeth Holm vibes from Sam Altman. Lots of bullshittery here. You know what I didn't even mention last week when we were talking about OpenAI and how they're trying to build that moat through Congress? Sam Altman is also the founder of a absolute crap Web3 scam coin called WorldCoin. We, uh, we really did a deep dive in the Bitcoin dad pod that just came out last week. But short version is that Sam has created this system that scans your eyeball using what they call an orb to create a global identity and global payment ID for you. Come on. I'm serious. And they pay you in their crap coin that they have pre-mined that they own, which is based off of just like this open source SDK. So they only have to build like the last 10, 20%. And he just got over $115 million in VC money last week to go hire a dev team to finish building this thing. So the person who scans your eyeball, they get a payout and the person whose eyeball gets scanned, they get a payout because now they have an account. And of course, they're going to they're gonna mine something like 80 billion coins and they're going to save 20% for themselves. And the whole thing's a proof of stake network, which means the more coins you have, the more control you have. And because they're going to have 20%, they're going to always have the most coins. So they'll always have control of the network. And here's how Sam pitches it. I'm not even making this up. Sam pitches this as the solution to the impending nuclear bomb that is AI disinformation representing itself as actual people on the internet. And the only way to solve it is with retina authentication via WorldCoin. So Sam is going to Congress saying that AI is going to destroy the world with misinformation. He's actually comparing it to the atom bomb and saying you've got to regulate it fast because you don't want to miss the window like you did with social media. And AI is going to be this big problem. And oh, by the way, I've also got a solution called WorldCoin. And he's got a year or two to sit back, build out OpenAI and ChatGPT, and keep freaking the whole world out about the dangers and safety of AI 
while he can wait for his crap coin to get built out by the dev team he's about to hire because they're just going to clone an SDK that already exists. It's called the Atom SDK. It's a known open source project already, but they're just going to clone it, change a few things and call it WorldCoin. <laughs> he's going to sell it. On, he's going to sell it to the whole world once we're all completely panicking about AI. Oh, my God. Remember in the 90s, there was that fireman. I think it was in Chicago. And someone will fact check me. It was either Chicago or Manhattan. But he was lighting fires, right? And then making sure that he was on duty for when... (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about, right? The angel, when they're doctors, they call them the angel of death. But he was... Yeah. This is such bullshit. I know. And Sam Altman is on like his Series C of VC funding. This is where I'm talking about where the VC stuff goes sideways. And of course, A16Z Anderson Horowitz is in on this and... A bunch of different VCs. Well, now, you know, he's Series C, so he's got a whole bunch of VCs he's reporting to as well now. I, okay, so, I, I, you know, you know, I have strong negative feelings about the whole Web3 coin thing. Yeah. So, and I'm not going to fight you on that today. No, I One agree. Day. All these are scams. They're just, right. And it's obvious. It's obvious. They're just taking open source stuff and cloning it. They're not even cloning it, right? I'm sorry, but, you know, there's like a million, like, Gantt charts open source projects you could use and it'd be like i have new gantt software and i just like you know change the css a little to make it look different there you go it's it's bull but i don't think he's exactly quite like elizabeth holmes for one very important i mean the web3 thing does sound like a scam but open ai it is not all bull right it's it's not a scam it does do more or less what it says on the tin well right that's the only way he's going to be able to sell the need for something to save us from it is if it actually does work. Yeah, I, I think he's maybe like, you know, a little too pearl clutchy. No, I think whole... he's no, 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 okay. no, 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 no. He's playing both sides. He is pearl clutchy on one side and he's he's selling the weapons on the other side. Right. Like he's selling he's selling both the problem and mm. the solution. He's selling it to both sides. He's creating the panic, which creates the demand for the product. So he's my my corrupt fireman. He really is. <laughs> yes, right. Yes. Like yeah. 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 And you know, there's a real easy tell on any of these if there's this pre-mine, if there's a group of people that got access to the coin ahead of time, it's fundamentally going to be corrupt forever. All right. So what exactly is a pre-mine? So a pre-mine means that instead of like so like, okay, so the contrast would be in Bitcoin, every single sat that exists was mined by taking electricity, doing computation, and then getting a unique Bitcoin on the other end of that, or SAT. Okay. With the pre-mine, they just pre-enter a number in the ledger and then allocate themselves that number. So if you have 80 billion coins, you take 20% of that and you just give it to yourself in the ledger. Like you just write it in the ledger at the code at the beginning of the project and launch it that way. I wish SunTrust Bank had a similar program yeah. where I could call them and be like, yeah, I want to I want to write something in the ledger here for my operating account. So it's just basically making up. Right. And so the VCs get the coin. So the VCs give them money. They get not only stake in the company, the VCs, but the VCs also get a ginormous bag, millions and millions of coins. Well, if I give you millions of something for free and then they go to even a dollar, You've just made a ton of money. And the VCs then get to stake that, which gives them control over the network. This is some bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. And anything that has that dynamic, that setup is an absolute scam, which is everything out there after Bitcoin. Even Satoshi Nakamoto himself 
had to mine his own sats with his CPU time. He didn't just get sats. Right. You know, like that's the difference is the people like these projects are scams because there's these oligarchs that will always have all the money, always have all the bags. Also, wouldn't wouldn't, I mean, again, you know, I'm a huge skeptic, but it sounds like if I were to trust a coin, Bitcoin is probably the only one I could trust. It is a little. Yeah, because all the rest of the is just could go to zero. It will. You probably will go to zero. Yeah, it will. Yeah, it will. Yeah, like Ethereum, if, if Vitalik dies, which is, he's the founder of Ethereum, if Vitalik dies, Ethereum will crash. No you know, one can would... die in Bitcoin. No one dies in Bitcoin crashes. There's no one to die. There's no person. There's no CEO. There's no Bitcoin leader. There's no one group of people. There's not even a foundation like there is behind Ethereum or Solana. I don't think this is very uh, becoming of him, if that's what the writer is asking. Uh... Sam Altman is, he he's... You know what? Like, he is going to be a model to follow. Like, it is going to be something else to watch this guy work. Oh, it's changing, right? He's it's so cha- far ahead of us. We're just catching up to what his playbook he is. is. So, no, he is changing. So, for years now, we've had the uh, Michael Sarah, the guy who played Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. We had the Michael Sarah hoodie FU. That's Sam Bankman Freed, right? That's that prototype. Sam Altman's the thoughtful triangle. I'm listening to all the voices in the room. I'm understanding that my experience may not be your experience. And I hear your concerns. I have concerns, too. Safety first. Safety first. We, we call that how you manipulate people. Just you know, Sache signed off build with safety first when, about with AI. Oh, it's the new move. Right? And I, I would even say I like Sache. I think Sache yeah. is actually like a brilliant engineer. And he's doing better than ever. Sache is kind of the prototype for Sam Altman. Right. His first thing was we're and because he had to be because Microsoft has such a reputation as, you know, you're absolutely right. I totally yeah. see it. Yep. This is the new word. The no more uh, I'm CEO B cards. No more. Uh, and and I, I cannot express how depressed I am. Martini lunches, <laughs> you know, n- no more. Uh, whatever the hell Zuckerberg was doing, butchering his own chicken. You got a pregame before the lunch, you know. <laughs> Listen, if I have to talk to one of these people, I need to pregame starting at breakfast. It's, <laughs> I, I, I actually went back and listened to his testimony. The level of self-serving bull in there. I know, man. I know. I, I was so cringy. Like, y- you know I'm nuts, right? But at least when you talk to me, most of the time, if I tell you I want to make this deal, let's make this deal. You know that it's not some like weird starting. Like, I'm not trying to manipulate. I'm just like, this is... Welcome to the... I, I used to say this uh, when I first opened the first business, and I don't say it anymore because they don't they went out of business, which maybe is a bad sign for me. <laughs> but welcome to the Saturn, welcome to the Saturn dealer. The price is the price. I rarely do sales or incentives. Rarely, right? If I think I do them once every couple years, and that's because I'm either buying equipment, hiring, or something like that. This guy is just like, and they were eating out of his hand like little kittens. Yep. Well, he was reflecting back right what they wanted to hear. Well, and the tech press is like, I, I think they're in love. They are. Well, remember, I linked like 16 stories that were just I like, know. yeah, funny it's, it's, for mainstream media. Yeah, it, he is no different. And, and I'm he's, not saying he's, he's bad. Just a, he's another crypto scammer on top of all of it, which is so perfect. And perhaps the worst crypto scam of them all, because he wants to link your ID to your eyeballs on a global network. <laughs> 
a world network oh, for actually, worldwide transactions. Uh, my friend Xi Jinping, it's very interesting. Yeah, the technology. Right? Um, anyways, thank you, Pod Sage. See, this is an example where the boosts really just get us going on something. That was good. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Uh, Scott comes in with 2,345 sats. A friend recently introduced me to mechanical keyboards. Mm. Now I'm looking to get one. Have either of you seen productivity benefits from programming when using a mechanical keyboard yes not having constant rsi pain is in itself worth it yeah it just makes a huge difference i feel like such an idiot that it took me 30 years of using computers even though some computers over the years i've had fantastic keyboards i sort of prided myself and i can use any keyboard and maybe that was what i needed to do when i was doing it you but then can, right yeah but you know it's like oh yeah all my computers have nice keyboards now I have the launch right here in front of me. I absolutely love it. Upstairs, I have the launch. I have a oh, I can't I can't remember the name of it, but it's a split ergonomic keyboard, which I like a lot too. Uh, but I love the feel is of that launch. the Microsoft? Uh... I have that one too. I do have that one as well. No, this one, this one is a bigger one. I just can't remember the name, but it's like one of those specialty RSI ones. So I have uh, the launch. I reviewed the launch mini or launch yeah, light rather. Right. I've have used a number of uh, DOS keyboards, which love DOS keyboard, but you got to make sure you buy the right models because they're various in quality. Mm -hmm. I am currently lusting after this, which I'm putting in the element chat, a, the DOS keyboard, Mac tiger mechanical, all metal. It's got all the built in Mac OS stuff for controlling my various nonsense. (laughs) Uh, I would say that I am one going to be moving shortly. And that means new home office space. Ooh. Which means it's time to look at chairs. Yep. It's time to look at keyboards. Yep. I'm keeping the desk because it's relatively new and it's one of those fancy, uh, um, what do you call those? Not mechanical. Is it, I guess it is. Oh, like the one that raises? Yeah, it's a it's Standing. a brand is autonomous, but mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. I have it all pre-programmed for, I have like four different settings that I use. But I've been living the laptop lifestyle for the last few months. And this goes right to your point about keyboard, Scott. My hands are starting to hurt again. Yeah. And I'm, I'm noticing I'm holding my hands like just casually as though I'm trying to force choke my child all the time. Like Darth <laughs> Vader. And it's because the, the joints are getting messed up. So, yeah, I, I definitely think now you have to find out what kind of switches uh, they go. Right, I like cherry switches, but not everybody does. The launches don't use them. But the launches are still really good. Uh, you want one that's programmable, I think, and that's where the launch really excels. Yes. Good UI on all platforms for that. Right. And I will give it to System76 for this one. Their Mac support for being a Linux company is is excellent. Yep. And they got a Windows app as well. Oh, they do? Okay. Yeah. So one of the things I would do is just like slap in the dev one and then slap in a MacBook into my little, you know, I have a whole, I used to have a whole hub situation and it just picked up which machine it was and would act accordingly good luck yes yeah happy tell us what you get nerd out and yeah report back mirror mortals podcast comes in with a row of ducks i kind of hope the robots take over just so i don't have to listen to sam's vocal fry anymore what if his master plan is for for that to happen and they'll all sound like him (laughs) they would they They would i hope not because it is very cringy Again, another plug uh, for episode 90 of the Mere Mortals pod. I was just on there myself. Yeah, I hope not. Oh, Golden Dragon comes in with a row of ducks. As a somewhat post-humanist, I, for one, accept our AI and Jar Jar takeover. 
Yeah. Mesa love this boost. I'm not so great on the uh, Jar Jar concept, but <clears throat> I'd, I'd like to see what the AI could do. I, I think it could do better. Do you know how much money we left on the table by not doing Jar Jar coin when we should have? Oh, you're right. We really could have gone crazy with the meme coin. Disney would have sued us into oblivion. Yeah, but that we could have then parlayed that publicity into a fight to save crypto. The fate of crypto is in this lawsuit. You know, we could have done that. Whole and Ron DeSantis could have been our lawyer. <laughs> it all works. <laughs> okay. DMIK USA comes in with 5,000 sats. Our last boost this week. Boost! I've been a listener since episode one. Best coding show on the net. Everyone should check it out. Keep up the great work, gents. Woo. DM, it is so great to hear from a long timer. Thank you for boosting in. I love hearing from the long timers. And the great thing is if you get a new podcast app, that boost button is just right there in the app. So we've been hearing from long timers like, like we never have before. Mm. You can also uh, keep your dang podcast app. Just get Albie, get Albie.com. You top it off either indirectly, I mean inside it directly using MoonPay, uh, or you can send it from like another app. If you got the cash app, it's all an open network. That's the beautiful thing about it. It's all lightning. So you can use competing applications and send it around like it's a damn email or something. So go check that out. Uh, we got 367,031 total sats this week from 14 boosts. And uh, that was across 13 total boosters. Thank you, everybody. I'd love to double that number next episode. If you've been thinking about helping us out, maybe we could get that to 600 total, 600,000 total sats. And of course, thank you to our members. There is that new spicy quarterly, which I enjoyed a lot. That is posted and we have a new pay what you want mechanism. If you'd like to up your support as the as the lean times approach the show, there is uh, the minimum price. The price is the price. We sometimes do sales, but not too often. And then you can up it from there if you like. Uh, that's at coderqa.co. You support the show. You get an ad free version of the feed and you get the coderly, which comes out. It's like an extra show, uh, which inevitably we can't help but reference on the main show. So it's kind of helpful if you hear it. And it's a nice way to support us directly. Mr. Dominic, is there uh, anywhere you want to send the good people before we scoot? Um, go to alice.dev if you're interested in some automation and data manipulation goodness. Otherwise, check out uh, the Mad Botter Inc. and me at Dumanuko on Twitter. Yes. I hope to see everybody at Linux Fest Northwest. The call for papers and speakers is open for just a few more days. So by the time you're hearing this, you probably have about five, six, seven days I really encourage you to submit something. I'd love to make it the best Linux Fest ever. There's a lot of headwinds out there for a conference in the fall, but getting together with the community, it's always proved to be something that's just an absolutely enjoyable experience. LinuxFestNorthwest.org for the details. It's going to be in October. We're going to be there, probably be cooking, probably have Lady Jupes. Levi will be running around. Links to what we talked about today in the show are at coder.show slash 520. Of course, there's a whole network of podcasts over at jupiterbroadcasting.com where you'll find the RSS feeds, the contact page, all that goodness. And don't forget, we'll be doing some doubles soon. So we'd really like your feedback and your boost to bulk them up so maybe we can spread them across a couple of episodes. Got to bulk up for winter. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. <laughs>